Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Commonwealth Club and to the final Michelle Miao program of the year. Uh, I'm John Zipper. I'm the Commonwealth Club's Vice President of Media and Editorial. I also have the honor and the fun of co-hosting Michelle's show here every Thursdays at noon. We've done about 50 programs with Michelle Miao over the past year, all of them LGBTQI inclusive, reaching thousands of people across the country, and we've had some fascinating people. But for now, here's Michelle Miao and our special guest for tonight. Let's welcome Robin Crawford. Author of a song for you, My Life with Whitney Houston. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I said, you know, it's going to be a, a, a comfortable hour that we get to spend with you. Um, you've done some press and some interviews, and they're about 10, 15 minutes. And each and every time I was watching these interviews, I was like, I want more. Tell more of the story. Uh-huh. It's like 338 pages in that book. Um, <laughs> I like the idea or yeah. the feeling of being comfortable. It's it's not fun being in the hot seat and people asking you questions. And then you you always feel like they have an agenda, so your your guard is always up. So I feel comfortable. So Yay. Yay. <laughs> Well, it's home here. I mean, if you're joining us for the first time and you're getting acquainted with the program, the Michelle Miao Show is your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. <laughs> um, and, you know, Robin fits in there somewhere, and, and so does Whitney. And, and we'll talk about Whitney. And I think first, though, we should definitely get to know a whole lot of you and mm-hmm. start with uh, Tiny Robin. And, um, you know, Tiny Robin is one of three. Yep. Uh, three kids. Uh, father served in the Vietnam War. Correct. Um, child of Janet Crawford, which we'll learn an incredible woman. Mm-hmm. My hero. Yeah. Um, went through a lot. You know, the, the story of the loss of the puppy and then moving to East Orange. Let's begin there. Okay. And, and the reasons why you moved. Okay. So... My mother always had this dream of living in California, uh, the white picket fence. And uh, so my mother's younger brother, Roland, married Marlene Dove, who became like a big sister for my mom. And she moved to California, both of them, before she moved to Cali. They both were twirlers at in high school, Southside High School, where actually uh, Whitney's mother had attended Southside as well. And uh, so my mother followed Marlene to California, and um, my father was serving in the war at the time. But soon after that, uh, my father came <clears throat> to L.A., and I, I, we lived in Watts, but I had no idea that we were living in Watts at that time. Our house sparkled in the sun. It was that stucco kind of white stone, popcorn-y like. And um, I remember it rained on one side of the street. It was really weird that you could, we would play outside, and back then they didn't care if you slid on their cars. And and, and would slide down. It was, we had a lot of fun. So we would run in and out. Did anyone else ever experience that living in California? Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, okay. Well, it happened more than once, I remember. And, and that was like one of my fondest memories of California. But um, my father and mother um, argued a lot about money. And... Um, infidelities and things like that. And at that young age, I had no idea what it was, but I could feel the energy. I'm very sensitive to energy. I can pick up a whole lot of things. I think that's what's most important. We don't pay much attention to the energy. And um, we spend a lot of time watching and looking at what it looks like. But um, my memories of California were lots of Christmas presents and then lots of fights when it was over. Because uh, my, my father, my mother described my dad as a satisfied man. 
Um, <clears throat> he didn't like to work over time and things like that. But my mother was a doer, and she believed that you can obtain anything, including all your dreams, if you just put forth a little effort. So um, my mother's the hero of that book, mm-hmm. and um, I, I miss her yeah. a whole lot. Fast forward to college mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, being a star football player, at least. Uh, yeah. Oh, that, <laughs> I mean, that, start, that, sorry, basketball. Yeah. Basketball. Actually, <laughs> that, you know what? No, that's... I'm showing my true colors. No, that's, that's all right. <laughs> Take my badge away, somebody. <laughs> we played a lot of flag football. Back then, it wasn't flag, but it was more like touch. But we played a lot. Yeah, that's so yeah, I enjoyed it. But um, actually, I spoke at my college um, before I came here last Sunday, and it, and it was great. But I was a criminal justice major, and um, it's funny. Whitney and I both had a a similar and like things that we wanted to do. One of the roles, the only role she wanted to play, was being a badass undercover detective. That, that was her thing. That's how she described it. She never wanted to be an actor, but she said she wanted to, she wanted the role of Teresa Graves, Get Christy Love. That's the only thing she, want, she ever wanted to play. And I wanted to be an undercover detective working in homicide. But back in those days, you had to go to the academy first and wear a uniform. But I always knew I would be much better in plain clothes because I knew how to blend in among people very well. Mm -hmm. So that's the trajectory that I was on. And um, I didn't finish school. Something well, we're, that we're, we're going to talk about that. We're oh, going to get to oh, it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get, we, we build it on up and uh, yeah, okay. get everybody in it. But let's talk about that summer, though, coming home in the summer job. Oh, yeah. And meeting Whitney Elizabeth Houston, or she would later tell you to call her Nippy. Yeah. Well, I decided to leave school. And um, that summer, when I came home, Prior to leaving, I spent a lot of time talking on the phone with Whitney because we had met at the CDC Community Development Center, which was a summer counseling job uh, taking care of kids, just roughing them up, basically. That's what we would say. We were roughing little kids up because they were rough on you back then. (laughs) Kids are tough. So... um, Whitney didn't really want to work that summer, but her mother told her she needed some responsibility. And um, I didn't plan on working that summer. I had, when I left, I had transferred from one school to attend another, and it was in the middle of the school year, so I decided to get a couple of credits. I would go to Atlantic City, where the casinos had just opened up. And um, I figured I'd be a security guard, and I got the job right away. And these three gentlemen, this one gentleman approached me. i never forget his name was Jack Portock. And he said, we've been watching you. He was part of the Plain Clothes Investigation Unit. And it's funny how life, if you stay on the path that, you're passionate and you, and you desire, things just happen. A lot of times we'll say, you know what? I don't really want to do that, so I'm not going to go that way. I want to do this. But if you stay on that path, interesting things really happen. But that's exactly how I met Whitney. I got the call after leaving Atlantic City. I had a lot of money because I worked like 16-hour shifts studying card counters and solicitation in the casinos. You know, I would sit at little pubs within the casinos, 
watching people, but I, after studying mugshots, and it was dangerous because I, I didn't carry a gun, but there were different doors that you could slide through that looked like just the corridor, but I knew where they were, and, and I could disappear. It was really funny when I think about it, <laughs> but it's true. It's really true. And um, <clears throat> so I, I get this call from my coach who says, Robin, I have a summer job here. I want to know if you want it. And I was like, in my mind, I was saying, I'm, I, all I want to do is train. But it was my coach, and I hadn't seen her that summer. So I said, okay, what time do you need me there? And, I, and she said, 9 o'clock. And I got on my bike, and I rode to the CDC center, and I walked in. And little did I know when I walked in, this young woman was looking at me the entire time. I hadn't even seen her yet. I didn't find that out until later, but meeting her would change my life forever. So, yeah, it, it, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I finished the book in like a day. Um, that's how, that's how I ended the story, your story, uh, I was, and, and just so grateful that you're, you're telling it. Um, it wasn't long <clears throat> after meeting Whitney, or can we, can, should we call her Nippy? Does yep. it does it feel call it call it whatever you like? All right, or Nip or or Whit. Yep. I noticed that it was interchanged. It it, it it did because I remember the feeling, and it's always you know I could always tell when I was writing where I was, and um, yeah, sometimes you know it's like. Lisa, sometimes I will call her by her name, and she usually knows that means trouble the way I say it. Yeah. Other than it, she's my Lisa, other than that. But yeah. Yeah. Um, it didn't take long. I mean, you became fast friends and mm-hmm. uh, hit it off in, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And, and yeah, it didn't take long for the kiss, which was warm like honey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, you know, when you, when I think about Whitney, she was looking, this was a young woman who knew what she wanted, where she was going to go, how she was going to get there. Like she knew everything, like she saw it and she talked about it in, in, in real concrete terms and I could see it. And she would say, like, at 16, who says, stick with me and I'll take you all around the world? <laughs> and, 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 I, and I believed her. And it wasn't like she showed you anything that, like, she wasn't the type to sing or, or tell, remind you, I'm going to be on this cover. She straight ahead that was that was her her focus but she knew she needed someone there and she chose me and she said i need you on the outside looking in i can handle this right here but i need you on the outside and i knew what that meant i knew that she was number 1 and I was in the number two spot. But for her, I was her go-to for everything. And you had to be a warrior with Whitney. That's how it felt, because there was so much coming at her constantly. And we were just young. We were just two young women from East Orange, New Jersey. And one of them had this amazing dream yeah. Yeah. It was it was a lot coming at her. Yeah. And she could handle it. But you know, sometimes you just have to allow people to to grow. To to grow and and give them a minute to like, you know, see see where they are. But um, you know, it was she took it on and she she handled it well. You don't get to that pinnacle stumbling 
and, you know, <clears throat> sleeping your way through things. You have to mm. be focused. You have to put in the time to hone your craft. You have to be gracious and respectful. And she was all those things, you know. She wasn't perfect. None of us are. But she had all the goodness and the thoughtful generosity that you would want your boss, someone you're giving your life to, because that's how it felt, you know. We were, we were young, and there were death threats. And um, she would say, I, I never forget, we were in Boston, and she was performing at the Boston Commons, and it was a credible death threat. And the FBI came in and verified that there was someone stalking her, and we had received a bunch of, you know, little notes, weird-looking notes, and she said, I'm going to go out here on this stage and do what God gave me this gift with to touch people and this is what I love to do and that's what I'm going to do and she was like 19 so that wasn't in the bodyguard I mean it wasn't in the seat <laughs> no no but it, no <laughs> so that's well, funny we, you know it, it, uh, it comes across and I think for most of us who are super super fans like the love we have for Whitney is connected with her music I mean, for you, it was very up close and personal. Mm-hmm. That's oh, my kiss. I forgot all about my kiss. How can you forget about the kiss? Well, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to move past the kiss because I think, you know, what, what's so special is being able... Well, I mean, we're going to get into something deeper. Um, <laughs> her muse, the singing, the first time you heard her sing. When, I mean, not like just sing, but like yeah. she really, really like... Sang. Yeah, thank you. She, mm-hmm. You went to church. I went to church. She invited me. And Whitney said that gospel is the music that she loves to sing most, and, um, which is true. And the day I went to church to see her, it was unbelievable the power that she had. And I, I couldn't believe it. I just, I was blown away the energy that was surging in that room. And when I say men and women were crying, like you could feel it. And I, I got up and I, I stood up just to like, it pulled me out of my seat. And when I think about how the gospel and how much she sung around the house and how much she loved gospel music. She didn't really get to sing a whole lot of it. And when we started out, BB and CC Winans was a family of 10 siblings, seven brothers and three trinkets of girls. And um, at the time, Whitney was 19, and she gravitated to them right away. She had recorded her first album, and all she wanted to do was sing gospel with them. And there are a bunch of videos, YouTube videos, where at the time Arsenio Hall had a show, and she's singing background with them. I remember... Clive Davis, Arista Records, called, called Capitol and told them, if you keep playing that record with her on it, we're going to sue you. And that's how the business works. They don't want you saturated someplace else. She was just doing that out of the goodness and the desire that she had. Singing gospel for her was effortless and like, no strings. She could have no voice. She could be hoarse on every other song, but singing gospel would open her up. 
So, yeah, that was that was her thing. When she says that, she meant it. That's the music she loved to sing most. <clears throat> I think you know, there was so much going on, you know, the media and the rumors of the relationship, the relationship with you and her, and you. It's in here in the book. Um, you're very honest mm-hmm. with the relationship. There was a romantic relationship at first, uh, as, uh, after the, the, the church moment. In, in, and uh, I'm stumbling because I'm trying to find the words. Was it either making love? But I think you you describe it as um, just... No. You know <laughs> I what? always get tripped up when it's... It, okay, so the making love part. Um, we were, You know what? I... Well, we were friends. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what we, you, she wanted a friend. I prayed for a friend and we didn't meet each other. And, you know, like it was like this obsession. What do you have when you're like, what's that word where you see someone and you're like just staring at them and you know right away you want to get in someone's pants. It wasn't that at all. Um, We were friends and I I sit down and I talk to my kids a lot about friendship and how important friendship is and how naked and honest and open one can be with a friend if you allow it to just be bare and and share everything and and with that we i mean we shared everything mm-hmm. and we did everything together we wanted to be near each other and that first kiss was just it just happened so it never felt like we were oh, this is my girlfriend. It it never felt like that. It felt like, wow, this this is really something else. You know, Mm -hmm. this is really, it was just blossoming. And back in the 80s, it was, you were either gay or you were straight. And I just never looked at myself in those limitations. I had boyfriends. I could attract men, you know, boys, girls. I was just journeying and venturing. And here's this beautiful young woman, and we're having a blast together. We're we're enjoying ourselves. And after that night, seeing her in church, Whitney was like, look, we're going to go spend, we're going to Larry's house. And that was, we didn't have a place where we could just be alone. And that's how it felt when we walked in. We were alone. We were safe. We picked up a snack and we just touched each other during that time. And that cemented everything that the feelings that we had shared that we could have ever imagined. I found the words exploring each other's bodies. Yeah. That's what you wrote in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. That's how it felt. Yeah. You know, it didn't feel, oh, okay, great. Now, now I'm a lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It it just, it it didn't feel it didn't feel like that. It felt like this is a wonderful moment with, and I'm safe, and it's ours, and nobody knows but us. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to before she signed with Arista, and and knowing that she would just get a. I think you both knew, right? I mean, you're gonna. She was gonna be big. It was gonna. It's a big deal. Um, you didn't finish college, which is what you met, met mentioned earlier. Uh, but she shows up at your house with a blue Bible mm-hmm. and both wrote in it, um, talking about you'll always be there for each other, mm-hmm. your friendship and love 
not sure what the the actual words were that were written. Yeah, it was just being loyal, dedicated, honest. Um, unconditional, loving someone unconditionally. Like I I hadn't really, I had only seen that word in the Bible. No one ever said that to me, you know, like love me unconditionally, maybe in the movies or something. But that was something that she said that she wanted me to do, just love me unconditionally. And I felt that like it was like a big word, like I read it in a Bible, I knew what it meant, the context of it, but that was something that I felt she was worth me aspiring to live up to, and I always knew, I always felt like I needed to be right there, like it's a weird kind of thing, but I used to think that I was going to live forever until I realized as a child that death is like, this is like the, this is the end. It's finite. You come into this world and you have no idea that you got to check out whenever, you know, your time comes. But I used to feel like I would live forever. And Whitney was someone that you always found yourself standing up for or let me I write in the in the book where when we were doing drugs I knew she couldn't go in I would go myself that was nuts but I would go do it and I would make sure that she was safe so she never spoke in terms of when I record this record I know it's going to be a hit or we're going to do this and we're going to make so much money. She never talked like that at all. She would say, you know, I really don't want to do this movie. It's going to be a lot of work. Um, and I don't want to be an actor. You know, she always spoke in those terms. So you knew you would have to be ready to protect her and to pick up the slack, you know, the things that she just couldn't do. She couldn't look out for herself. But, um, so let's, let's enter Bobby Brown. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're missing a whole lot of chapters here and I hope you do get the book because there's Jermaine Jackson, there's Eddie Murphy. I mean, I even want to ask you a question about that night. You knew you had to, you know, you're, we're moving into total platonic friendship mode and, and, mm-hmm. and that unconditional love um, the the night she got stood up by Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. So this is all in the book. It's, it's all these great stories, but let's jump to Bobby Brown and the relationship and a lot that's going on that started to get very chaotic and her, her stardom shot, you know, she's, there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> Bobby was, Six years younger than uh, than Whitney, um, but he when they met he was he was at the top of of his game, my prerogative, and um, so you know Whitney Whitney liked <laughs> she liked the bad boys she was so funny she. she 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 said she loved him and um but she also said that she wasn't going to get serious about him and um but she did and that's who she chose to to spend the rest of her life with and she she gave she gave all of herself to her marriage she believed that you know, you're supposed to stand by your man and um, support them. And she did. In in every way, she supported him. But Bobby, it's funny, he was the kind of guy that loved attention. And Whitney was the kind of 
woman who did not need the attention. She, she would opt for the boutique hotel that was off the beaten path in the corner where no one would know that you're there. And Bobby would want to stay on Sunset Boulevard where everybody was looking. So it was funny. They they were like apples and oranges. She was a exceptional swimmer. Bobby couldn't swim to save his life, <laughs> you know. But that's who she chose. And um, I wanted the best for her. But on a trip, she shared with him that... Um, our our story that we had once been physical, and she didn't tell me that she had shared it with him. But from what I understand, he was not happy about it. And but he he never mentioned it to me. He never approached me about it. I don't know why he was so disappointed about it. It was, you know, years ago, decades ago. And um, I didn't have much respect for him after that because if your spouse, the woman that loves you, shares with you a story from her past and you have just had this amazing wedding and you know she's being open and honest with you and you're going to use that against them, I don't really have much respect for you. So I was very disappointed with his behavior and the way that he treated her. I don't know why he treated her that way over the years. Uh, I write about it in the book. Uh, I guess only he could answer that. I would imagine, and this is my opinion, but I think that, uh, you know, you were Whitney's protector. You did, you served as the assistant role, the creative director role. I mean, you said it, you're number two and you were there. I think that that would make someone insecure who isn't being the number two. And I, through even some interviews and what was in the media, it seemed they had a very tumultuous and rocky relationship, um, allegations of physical violence, at least, uh, you know, it wasn't, I don't think the mindset for Bobby Brown was kind of in the same role that you played. Well, you know what? Bobby and I got along fine, contrary to, you know, what the media says. But um, I did. I just didn't like his his behavior. Um, and he knew that I was a friend, a very close friend, someone that she counted on, and I worked hard. He saw that. I think for Bobby, he just could not find something to do himself. You know, you know, Whitney could make things happen. She had the power to, you know, if she wanted to do something, she had the power to execute and follow through on things. Well, execute and follow through is the same thing, but and she, she, people wanted her to show up because she knew how to carry herself. She was very respectful and gracious. So when she walked into a room, you wanted her there. But I used to say, Bobby, if you, if you want people to call you, you have to carry yourself in a way where they know you're going to be there and you're going to, you know, represent. You can't, you can't just do whatever you want to do when you feel like it. It just doesn't work that way. And um, I think that, that, was, that, was, that was his problem. Whitney was so big and she worked to get there. Mm-hmm. 
You know, that that's what she, that's the career that she paid for herself. That was all her doing. Many people might have the perspective that Whitney's drug use was aggravated or, you know, increased during her marriage to Bobby Brown or he or she started or the impression that she was doing it a whole lot more. Um, I think you explain it very well in the book and just discussing, you know, the 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 drug use and the impact that it had on her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. They spent quality time together. You know, Whitney was isolated. That's what I call it. I didn't see a lot of her during, um, you know, the early part of her marriage. And uh, that's not uncommon. You know, if you have a a new partner, you spend time with them. And um, they did. And during that time, I began to see her not you know, lose, lose her focus, you know, not get the rest that she needed because her schedule was always packed. I mean, she always had something to do. And I think when she would get angry and say, you know, check my record, you know, she didn't have cancellations and things like that. She, she put the time in. I mean, that's, that's why she has the, you know, the accolades that she has. Mm -hmm. And trying to get her in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, she put the time in. I, I've asked this question while I was reading the book. I mean, you were there for her for 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 everything for nearly twenty years, mm-hmm. beyond um, twenty, beyond twenty years. Mm-hmm. You went through some things in your life, and and it, the question that I had asked was, um, you know, who was there? Who was there for Robin? One thing I do want to point out was you shared. You know, this is the loss of both your bro- your your brother and your mother mm-hmm. due to HIV/AIDS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was well. The eighties, the latter eighties, there were a lot of people that worked with us, um, makeup and the glam squads, um, Suga. He was a hairstylist, and uh, he was the first person that I had heard passed of AIDS. And um, I didn't know much about the illness at that time. And then there were some close friends that we had in, that worked with us in the band. And I remember being around them and, and witnessing how lonely it was and hearing... I remember people would say, I'd read about it, it's a gay man's disease and they deserve it. You know, you live that kind of life, you deserve it. And, you know, when my brother became ill, you know, I was shocked. I was shocked because he didn't talk to us about it. And... I didn't want to believe it. And um, kind of like when my mother became ill, it's all of a sudden things really come into focus. And um, having, watching two family members, you know, battle the disease, and one is going the Western Met, angle and the other is holistic. My mother went the holistic route and there was, there was, it was like there was nothing you could do but just love them. So I don't believe that if you really pray and you want someone to live and you want them to heal, you don't doubt it. You you put all your energy into believing that, you know, miracles could happen. But I will tell you that those were two of the most, they were so brave and they, 
they they touched my lives. My mother and my brother, they... <clears throat> we did everything we could, Whitney, for AIDS. She called... At the time, there was the T.J. Martell Foundation. I wrote about this in the book, and it didn't make it. But the T.J. Martell Foundation was... Uh, Tony Martell had a young son who had a leukemia disease, but they also did a lot for AIDS alongside the Gay Men's Health Organization. And Whitney called Clive Davis to ask Tony Martell if they could help my mother. And Clive called me and gave me Tony's number, and I called him, and he told me about a drug called interferon, and um, my mother was able to get it. He said, I, I believe that we can get our hands on it. I don't know for how long, and um, it was expensive, but we were able to get it, and um, she was able to... It's amazing how the T-cell count began to pick up and she was living her life again and and as long as we had access to it 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 worked but you know like anything else it for some reason it did dry up but um I can't believe it. We've already burned through uh, 40 or so minutes, and then the audience does get to ask <clears throat> questions. Um, so be thinking about your questions. John's going to walk around with a mic, I think. A couple questions I need to ask before we turn it over to the audience. Mm. Uh, gosh, look at all these purple post-its. These were the questions I had planned to ask. <laughs> that always happens, especially when I get going. Oh, no, 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 because there are that many stories, but... You eventually had to leave Whitney. You had to leave Nippy Inc. Um, reading about the, I guess, what people call the straw that broke the camel's back. It was over a George Michael t-shirt or t-shirt or shirt that you bought know. for George Michael and Bobby Brown. That was just, it was just, yeah, Bobby, would, he was jealous. And you buy a gift for whomever it is that you're working with. Um and he, for some reason, you know, when someone's screaming in your face about something that's so trivial and ridiculous, I, I just was exhausted that, that yeah. weekend. Yeah, there a, lot, a lot had happened in a, a few years. The, uh, the, the, yes, the fights, the drug use, and then... Yeah, it was, it, was, it was cumulative. I never left because I wanted to leave Whitney. I, I left because... It was time for me to move forward, and I felt like I had done all I could do at that time. But I, I never felt like that was leaving my friend or that we would never come full circle and, and come back and work together and just spend, you know, pick up. But life has a way of just, yeah. Just moving around, and sometimes you're just not on that path. And I was trying to get myself together and live. So, and you you got yourself together, and you, you picked up the phone and reconnected with a good person. Oh yeah, my wife, I, wife. I see her. She came in, Lisa. Woo! In the white right My my Lisa. Who, who told you to get therapy before she'd, she'd yes, be with she you. Did. <laughs> she did. She, yes, she did. But, she, you know, you got to know who to call. I called her because I knew she knew me. I always knew that Lisa cared about me. But there was she had a no-nonsense, mature way of carrying herself. And I was still young and free and wild and... You know, I I really didn't know how to have a relationship. And um, Lisa, I called her because I knew she'd tell me about myself in a, just clearly, the good, the good parts about Robin and the bad things. You know, it was a blur to me. My life, I was always moving, flying here, going there, and... 
I I didn't really see a lot of things. I was running from death and the understanding of, you know, really facing what had happened to my mother and brother. And when I called Lisa, I left a message. I hadn't spoken to her in years. And, but I remembered her number by heart and I still remember it. 212-691-2580. And she hasn't had that number in it's gone. And I called her and she called me back. And it, it took a minute. But yeah, she she said, if we, if I'm going to even think of, if I'm going to even consider being with you, you have to go into therapy. And I spent two and a half years in therapy and I wanted to disappear then too, because I felt worthless. You know, I I really was you know, I was down at the heels. That's what mm. they call it. And um, she allowed me to stay in that apartment with the blinds drawn. And she would call and she would say, have you been out? And I said, no, not yet. And she said, get up and get out. And I'd get up and go walk. And, you know, I was just trying to catch up with all the losses and where I had been. And yeah, so I wouldn't have been able to pass go and collect $200 without Lisa. <laughs> and here That's you are t- today in a book out, um, Lisa and two beautiful children. I wish we had more time to talk about ch- your children, which we might. Uh, but let's open it up to the audience for questions. Well, I'm so emotional here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, in the book, you talk about how, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, Whitney not being able to, the, the thing that ended up sort of closing the chapter on your romantic relationship was how she talked about she wouldn't be able to achieve what she wanted to achieve if it had come out that you had had that element of your relationship. And one thing that I always think about is, had the circumstances been different, had she maybe grown up in a different time period, or if maybe Sissy Houston hadn't been the sort of overbearing mother that she was, if you think the narrative of Whitney's sexuality would be different if you think your relationship might have been different in the end, or if all the tag-along effects of how nefarious homophobia is in our community and how it can impact you with respect to drugs or isolation or you know violence in relationships, if that might have changed the eventual outcome of Whitney's life. Well, <clears throat> that was a loaded question. <laughs> Uh, I can't speculate on what would have been. And, you know, Whitney loved her mother. And I believe her mother, I know her mother loved her. Um, I think, I what I do think about is, I wonder if, what it would have been like if people would just leave people alone. Mm. <laughs> just, just, just let people grow. We're all so different and require different things. You know, my mother raised, my mother knew she had three children that required different things. I was the one that needed the most attention. I was a pain in the ass. And I constantly asked why all the time. But my mother had the patience to answer it. And I, and I often wonder if people would have just allowed Whitney to just, just took what she was giving you which was all of herself, what, what she would have been. Bigger, bigger than, well, I closed the chapter, I closed the book by saying what the doctor, Dr. Francis, said to me. He said, if Whitney did get the help that she needed, imagine how many people she could have saved. And, and, and that's true. 
you know, you have to like let people be who they are and stop looking for what they're not or whatever it is that you're trying to live through them, you know? So I can't speculate on what would have been, but my love for her never changed. And I know her love for me never did. Mm. I feel it. Um, Hi, Robin. I'm over here. (laughs) My name is Carolyn Weisinger. I'm the president of San Francisco Pride. By the way, if you ever, if you want to come back to our 50th anniversary in June, we would love to have you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, Mine is not as much of a question as much as it is an appreciation um, as a black queer woman who I think you, when you started the story and admittedly, I've only read the first like 10 pages. I just got it yesterday. Um, you said you met Whitney, I think in summer of 1980 uh-huh. and I was born in February of 1979. So, and this is not to age anybody, okay. <laughs> but just to kind of say that, you know, hearing your story and reading your story and knowing what Whitney meant to me as a young girl it, it brings back so many emotions, you know, having grown up the way that she did in the black church. So grew up not necessarily with a sissy, but, you know, growing up in the black choir and here in California state and all of those things. I know that seven year old me would have hated you, but I feel like I was robbed of you. <laughs> what? Why? Because I love me some Whitney. There was two women oh. that I loved in my, at seven years old, oh, Whitney okay. Houston and Dorinda Clark from the Clark sisters. Y'all don't uh-huh. know the gospel music. Those are the two women that yep. I love at seven years old. So part of me feels that I was robbed of you, um, and robbed of that story, but I understand why. And I was telling someone on the way here, I, just reading your introduction and you t- listening to you talk about your loyalty and the friendship. I feel like a lot of us have a Whitney. You know, I, I have a friend in my life who she's a, a definitely a part of my coming out story. And I've been on Michelle's show and she knows I won't tell that part of the story. And I will probably take that story to my grave as well. So I definitely understand that. Um, and as a woman who I don't want like to project people's um, identities on them, but we present very similarly. I feel like I always think about what if that had been able to manifest itself as a relationship um, and the reasons why it wasn't able to. Um, And as a black queer person reading your story, it kind of fills in a lot for me. So that's why I say this is more of an appreciation of, of feeling like that part of my story has now been filled in by what was kind of robbed of me, if that makes sense. The things that I wasn't able to, the the images that I was not able to see portrayed, I'm not being able to see that love between the two of you when I was a young girl may have changed my coming out story. So I want to appreciate you now telling this story and just now kind of giving that image back to me, if that makes sense. I remember seeing the picture of you and Lena Waithe when you all did the interview together and I posted on my Instagram, this is what we need to see between black queer women. We need to see us appreciating each other. We need to hear our elder story. I hope you don't mind me calling you an elder. <laughs> no, no, I don't. That don't make you mad. It's okay. You have but we kids. Need, we no. need to hear your, hear your stories. And I personally, as someone who did love her and didn't know why I did at seven years old, I appreciate hearing your story. And I thank you so much for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Speaking of Pride, Whitney did perform at a Pride somewhere. Yes, she did. Yeah. Was it, it New York? It was New York, down on the pier. And it was great. She loved it. it she, she loved it. I mean, it was... The energy was surging, and um, she, I never forget, she, Heartbreak Hotel, and it's not right, it's okay, and, and I mean, she had a blast, and it was the wee hours of the morning, and, and I mean, it, it was awesome. We had a great time. And that's how it always was, you know, you, the clubs back then, you danced the freedom to to do it. You felt it. It, it was just, that's how it was. The garage back then, uh, we were always, it was a performance that while we were there, but the energy, that's what my brother loved so much. He could get away and just celebrate. I'm yeah. sneaking in it was really magical. quick. There is a story in there where you're at a gay club you and Whitney dancing, and you end up in the car. Well, that was honky talk uh, dancing, though, that we were doing back then. That that wasn't that kind. Of I'm dancing. just saying that, that was, was one of my favorite stuff. parts in the in the book. Hi, 
one reoccurring theme with your book that I noticed was you uh, witnessing, supporting, protecting, minding your own business while your friends are experiencing toxic relationships. And even like your your mother's story with your dad. Um, and one arc that I saw was basically you kind of realizing you had to support and protect yourself and you deciding you know, that you needed to make space for you to cultivate your own healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. Do you have any insights on, on maybe things that you've learned or wisdom that just kind of helped you make those separations where on one hand, you really want to be there for your friend that's hurting versus like supporting yourself and loving yourself and your, your family as it grows. Hmm. I've learned that communication I think with Lisa and I, the most important thing for us is our communication and being open and honest with each other. She likes to, she's so funny, she's just grinning at me. Uh, You have to be considerate and respectful of someone's time when they need their time alone. It's not about you all the time. And I've learned to pause and give Lisa the space. Like she'll say to me, if you don't want to, if you don't want to stay, you have permission. You can leave. Let's take two cars and you can go when you want. So she already knows if we're going somewhere and I've already told her that, you know, I probably don't want to go. And she'll say, I want you to go with me, though. And I'll say, "Okay, but look, I want you to go with me, but you could take two cars and then you can leave if you. So I've learned how to. For me, that was the most important thing, the give and take and the respect that she's an individual and needs different things. And I'm who I am and I need different things, too. So I respect her space because she's Lisa and she respects mine because I'm Robin. So we work that well. So, Robin, my name is Alicia. I think I'm the last black woman standing in San Francisco. I was born and raised here. (laughs) I'm a a unicorn. (laughs) I'm also a unicorn in the respect that I've worked in uh, commercial media for television and in radio and um, kind of behind the scenes. But this is my first time here at the Commonwealth Club. And it's because of you that I came here. Okay. Mm -hmm. Got that out. The next important part of the conversation, I think, is about the health care of your mother and brother and the access to the proper uh, drug therapy for HIV and AIDS care um, for minorities in particular, access. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about your work and your ideas about uh, about that and around the health care? And then the other thing is I had the um, teen magazine that Whitney made the cover of. And um, at that time, I remember, you know, holding on to it and, and really seeing a young black woman like me for the first time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the next, the next dot that I can connect between your story, my story, and that magazine cover was when I had my first, um, radio television interview in Berkeley and it was with Bobby Brown Mm. and he wouldn't answer any of my questions. He was on my neck the entire time. And he noticed I had a mole on this side of my neck and then a mole on this side of my neck. And it was my first interview. And I was like, if you don't get your ass off of me (laughs) and answer my damn questions. (laughs) 
And I'm just trying to put myself in the place where when you met her, when I saw her on the magazine cover, the just those time periods in my life connected to what you've shared tonight. I appreciate you. Thank you. That's all. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. My my brother was going the AZT route and he was using, um, uh, I forget what they're called, cell builders, blockers. Or, and he pretty much did his own thing. He didn't talk to me much about it. Um, and I was quite ignorant to the process. And I, I wasn't much help for him medically, nor did he ask me. Um, he usually spent his time talking about what I was wearing and how I wasn't wearing it right (laughs) and, you know, things like that. My brother was a character and, um, but, you know, I made sure he was comfortable and, um, clean bedding and, you know, French toast, which he loved. My mother, I was very involved and, you know, we we did every holistic thing that you could do with stones to heated stones to, you know, s- suck energy. Uh, Lisa went with me to one of those. Um, we had been together at that time. And I remember later on, she told me she didn't think that was going to work, but she uh, didn't say anything. And um, I took my mother to Harlem for vitamin C shots. And I remember one time she collapsed in the hallway. And the only way I could hold her up, because she was really heavy, was supporting myself, putting my legs. The hallway was narrow, so I put my legs on the wall and pressed myself here and just yelled to someone came out to help us. But I spent a lot of time with my mother juicing. Uh, She had a very good diet, and I'm a pescatarian today. Uh, Part of the way my mother cared for herself and cleansing and prednisone, there was something that she would inhale that, that helped sustain her lungs as well. But um, I do read and pay attention to how it's really hard for young black males to have the access that they need when it is available now to prolong your life. And so, but I I spend my time more focused on mental illness and type 2 diabetes, which... I really want to dedicate myself to that. My younger sister who has that issue, and I I work with her to try to get her to come out from under that stigma because she is brilliant. And, you know, no one with mental illness wants to stay on those meds. No one. The side effects, I believe, are just too much. So I I um, try to put fitness and, you know, they pump them with meds, but they don't teach them how to eat and how to challenge the body. So I think if we get more into, you know, challenging your body and becoming mentally aware of how the mind works with the body, hopefully that will help people reduce the number of type 2 diabetics that we have, which is really awful. The numbers are scary. They're frightening. So Today's a special day. It's your birthday. It is. <laughs> it is. It is my birthday. So what, what, what were birth- birthdays like celebrating with Whitney? 
Huh? What were birthdays like celebrating around Whitney, traveling the world with Whitney? Uh, well, it's, I had my birthday on the road a couple of times. In the book, there's a picture. Um, she's dressed in the Queen of the Night outfit, and she's singing happy birthday to me. Well, she took a, uh, a break, a pause just to do that. I mean, we had fun. We, you know, uh, that's one of the reasons why I, I wrote the book. I just felt like, you know, I wanted it to be clear that we had a beautiful friendship. And um, we had a beautiful, loving, respectful friendship. And I know how to be a friend because of that friendship. I know how important friend a friendship is and i know the difference between fair fair weathered friends and associates and i teach my kids that now like don't give your friendship away you you may be alone my daughter has loads of empathy and she doesn't really have a close friend yet and i said that's because you know how to be a friend Make them earn your friendship. You'll just spend more time with mommy and mama. We'll do special <laughs> things right now. But, uh, yeah, we we had a blast. Well, I, you had a song of uh, your book. The, the title of your book is a song for you. And my guess is that there were many songs from Whitney. Um, we have a song for you tonight. And uh, we'd like to wish you a happy birthday. Oh, I want to give you up and turn you over to everyone here. And thank you all for coming. We'll see you next time. Thank you all for coming. Thank you. Thank you.